Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Happy Monday, football fans, and welcome into another edition of The Chase Podcast. I'm Isaac Sines, and I thank you for joining me. In today's episode, I recap the divisional round and discuss hidden gems from each team that have helped propel their team to the championship round. The Chiefs are moving on to the AFC Championship for the first time since the 1993 season following their dominant 31-13 win over the Colts. Patrick Mahomes credited the defense for their stellar play and looks forward to the opportunity of playing for the conference title. Uh, I mean, it, it was a great win. I mean, the defense uh, stepped up big, played, played great all game long. Offense, we started fast, had a kind of a dry spell, but we finished it off uh, in the end. So uh, it's a great team win. Uh, we got to get the uh, opportunity to play here again next week. So we're, we're excited for that opportunity. The Rams stymied the Cowboys' efficient rushing attack to notch their first playoff win in 14 years. Dante Fowler said their defense had something to prove after being disrespected by the media leading up to Saturday's game. We went out and we just wanted to show you guys, you know, that we felt like we were kind of getting disrespected throughout the whole week. You guys were saying that, well, not you guys, but people were saying that it's going to get like 200 yards and stuff. And just talking about uh, the yards per carry that we you know that we had during the season. But I think people haven't been looking like the past last six weeks. Uh, really stopping a run and um, doing really good on defense. The Patriots steamrolled their way to an eighth consecutive AFC championship game and will gear up to face the Chiefs for a second time this season. Tom Brady embraces the underdog mantra and likes that no one is willing to give them a chance against Kansas City. It'll be a good game. They're a good team. And uh, we played them earlier this year. You know, I know, you know, everyone thinks we suck and, you know, can't win any games, so we'll see. It'll be fun. The Saints ended the Eagles' Cinderella run in front of their home fans to punch their ticket to the NFC title game. After a monster performance, Michael Thomas told reporters that they are not content with where they're at and reiterated that there's still work to be done. Um, man, it's, 
this is just a step to where we're trying to go. So I feel like I'm gonna be, once I look back, I'll, I'll appreciate them and stuff. But I'm ready to get on to the next one and prepare for this one because it's still it's the, the the stakes are higher. Um, and we're we're not where we wanted to be. You know, was, we got knocked down in the same position last year. So it was like you know it's all about how you get back up and you respond. And I feel like we took that step, so we got over that hump. So now let's get over the next hump. And we guys keep chipping away and keep building. I will discuss all of that and more. Coming up in the latest episode of the Pro Football Chase Podcast. The Fall is another production of the Chase Podcast, covering the latest news and analysis from around the National Football League. Turn the volume up. The Chase is on and Live. Now, let's save the recording. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Monday, January 14th, here on the Pro Football Chase Podcast. Isaac Signs coming to you live for another episode, another edition, some more NFL talk. You know the drill. So, again, I appreciate you taking the time. To listen to today's content on a Monday as we begin a brand new week. So I hope all is well out there. A lot to get into, a lot to digest. The divisional round is now over as we now head to championship weekend. Next Sunday we'll have a doubleheader first game NFC Championship followed by the AFC Championship. And for today's episode I just wanted to recap each divisional round matchup and talk about one player on each winning team that is a diamond in the rough, an underdog that brings extra intrigue to their respective team. And I've always been a fan of the underdog story and it just provides another aspect that you can appreciate, you can admire. These are players that were down and out at one point in their career. Nobody believed in them, but yet after watching this past weekend's action, you saw them shine on the biggest stage. And so I want to talk a little bit about one player from each team just to kind of give another angle here of NFL coverage so with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and start with game number one on Saturday afternoon. The Indianapolis Colts against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I did pick the Kansas City Chiefs to win this game. If you listened to Friday's podcast episode, it was me and Jarrell Worthy previewing the games. I had Kansas City winning this game 30-27. to Now, it was an overwhelming consensus that the Colts were going to win according to the poll that I put up on Saturday morning. And just from the media in general, a lot of people were expecting Frank Reich's team to come out and win on the road in Kansas City. And what was a snowy day, frigid temperatures, but Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and company had something to say about that. The Chiefs absolutely dominated the Colts 31-13 at Arrowhead Stadium advancing to the AFC Championship game for the first time since the 1993 season. And it's safe to say that Kansas City exercised their personal demons of postseason history after entering Saturday's game 
with an 0-4 record against the Colts. They used the dominant first half to jump out to a 24-7 halftime lead by totaling 18 first downs compared to the Colts' 4. 42 offensive plays compared to the Colts' 19. And also outgained Indianapolis by 274 yards to 91. What the huge margin difference there. Kansas City, they were ready. They were prepared. Coming off that bye week, you can tell that they were rejuvenated. And that's because they played without Spencer Ware, another running back. And of course, the all-pro safety, Eric Berry, who continues to deal with this lingering heel injury. There's a deformity that he's been dealing with that apparently creates an immense amount of pain. And now... What's sad is that Barry has only played in two games this entire season, and he's such an incredible talent on the field, but yet it just seems like he's consistently hindered by injuries. And so I'm hoping, as an NFL fan, that Eric Barry can make some progress this week to get out on the gridiron against the New England Patriots in what should be a dandy. Now, of course, I'll preview those NFC AFC championship games on Friday as I always do but let's go ahead and talk about that hidden gem on the Kansas City Chiefs and that gem is Damian Williams the running back 26 year old he's emerged as the premier rushing threat in the Chiefs high-powered offense okay this was a running back the former Miami Dolphin out of Oklahoma he signed a one-year 1.2 million dollar contract with the Chiefs' last free agency. Now, of course, a lot of people say $1.2 million for a year. Shoot, sign me up, right? Because that's a lot of money. But in terms of running back numbers and NFL numbers, that's a bargain contract signed by Williams. He entered training camp as a third running back on their depth chart. Okay, and of course, this was before the whole Kareem Hunt story developed and that video surfaced. Next thing you know, Kansas City cuts him in what made headline news across the NFL, even in CNN, Fox, because it had to do with a larger issue than football. And in comes Williams, a player that wasn't even expected to see the field this season, was just solely there for depth purposes and you know, let's just be honest, I think he was going to be set to walk in free agency again and find another team where maybe he could have some action because, you know, as long as Hunt was there in Kansas City, it was hard to envision any other running back really getting in on any action unless Kansas City was blowing out a team, which that did happen on many occasions this season. But enough cannot be said about the type of role Williams has had in Kansas City and in result, the Chiefs rewarded him with a two-year, $5.1 million contract extension on December 27th. So gave him a late Christmas present. And a lot of people, the Chiefs fan base, were very excited because they saw the type of running back that Williams is. This is a guy that 
accounted for four total touchdowns down the stretch in the regular season. A couple were on the ground, a couple were in the receiving game. Spencer Ware has been dealing with the hamstring injury, so Williams became the Chiefs' number one running back there with Patrick Mahomes. And I, for one, was a critic of Williams saying, this guy's not going to come in and replace Kareem Hunt. And I thought that really his absence, Hunt, I'm speaking about, was going to derail this Kansas City offense because it was going to make them one-dimensional. And I thought that Mahomes was going to have to carry an extra load, an extra pressure, having to go to the air 40 times a game. Now, you know, looking back on it, it's not a bad thing because anytime Mahomes is going to the air, he is dicing up defenses and throwing for 400 yards and four touchdowns. But I was completely wrong about this as I sat in this very chair behind this mic a couple of months ago back in mid-December saying this Chiefs team is in trouble, but in comes Damian Williams, the guy who has just completely turned around this Chiefs offense. He's running tough, he's running aggressive, and he put together another outstanding playoff performance. And get this, not only was it a great outing, it was enough to put him in Chiefs playoff history. With his 129 rushing yards on 30 carries, he is now third behind Priest Holmes and Barry Word in Chiefs history for most rushing yards in a playoff game. Priest Holmes had 176 on 26 carries against the Colts back in 2003. And Word had 130 on 33 carries against the Rams in 1991. And there's Williams slotted number three with 129 on the ground. This guy diced up Indianapolis. This was a front that had not allowed a 100-yard rusher all season long. Finished eighth in the NFL in that category, but Damian Williams had something to say to that. He showed that he has the fight, he has the dog in him, and what a story for Damian Williams, and this is a guy that continues to progress each and every single game, and he's even gotten to the point where you're saying, wait a second, even if Spencer Ware is healthy, you got to continue riding the hot hand, and at this point, it is Damian Williams. So hats off to him. He is the hidden gem for the Kansas City Chiefs as they snapped a six-game home losing playoff streak and have finally won a game at Arrowhead and a much maligned Chiefs defense. They sure picked a good day to come through and help this team move forward to a shot at getting to that Super Bowl in Atlanta, Georgia. Bob Sutton's unit, which has been scrutinized all year long for the way they had given up chunk yardage. They ranked 31st in the league. They completely manhandled the Colts. Three sacks on Andrew Luck, five quarterback hits. They limited Indianapolis to just 263 total net yards of offense. And I, you know what? When I previewed this game, I talked about Kansas City's dominant edge rush with Justin Houston and D. Ford and Chris Jones, the defensive tackle there for Kansas City. Those three players sure had their presence felt against Indy on Saturday. And look at this. The Colts entered the game as a top team in the NFL in third down efficiency as they had converted 104 of 214 attempts for a 49% conversion rate. 
on the game, the Colts converted 0 of 9 third down attempts and went 3 and out on their opening four possessions. And how about this aspect? Marlon Mack and that dominant offensive line led by Quentin Nelson, which pounded out 200 yards and a score in the opening round of the playoffs, they found no sledding against the Chiefs as they were held to 87 yards. So again, tip of the cap to Sutton in this defense for coming up, rising to the occasion, shutting up all the critics who didn't think they had the unit to go far into the playoffs, led by Mahomes, the offense, which I think at this point he solidified himself as the league MVP. He picked apart Indianapolis in their cover two defensive coverage. 27 of 41, 278 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Mahomes was stellar again. The Chiefs were dominant, and they are a Super Bowl contender. And this Indianapolis team, credit to them, very young, ahead of schedule. Frank Reich and Andrew Luck together, they weathered the storm. They led this team, but in the end, it was not enough. The Chiefs, they were the better team that day, and in result, they get a chance to host a championship game. Now, the second matchup of Saturday was the Los Angeles Rams and the Dallas Cowboys, and what I thought had a chance to be an upset outcome as I actually chose the Dallas Cowboys to win this game 24-23, but boy was I wrong. The Rams exploded on the ground and dominated the Cowboys 30-22 in what was a rather lopsided game, although the score finished in just a one-possession advantage for Los Angeles. And how about this gut-wrenching stat in fact for Dallas Cowboys fans, but they have not been to an NFC title game since January of 1996 and are now 0-6 in divisional round matchups since that point. And it was another letdown on Saturday night. The Rams played bully ball and absolutely grinded this Dallas defensive front that had been chattering on social media, clamoring for attention from the media, saying, why aren't we getting the love that these other defensive lines have been getting? I mean, they were saying, look at our numbers. We finished fifth in the league against the run. We just shut down Seattle's top-ranked ground attack, limited them to just 73 yards. We want our respect. Well, the Rams and Sean McVay and this offensive scheme, they said, you know what? You want some attention? We're going to give you it, but for the wrong reasons. We're going to drill this ball down your throat until you can prove that you can stop us. And you know what? They were never able to throughout the entire course of the game. L.A. decided to take it right to the Cowboys in the trenches early and often. They totaled 273 yards on the ground with three touchdowns on 48 carries. Todd Gurley rushed for 115 yards and a touchdown, while C.J. Anderson, the trucker, totaled 123 yards and two scores. And how about this? Gurley and Anderson became the fourth set of teammates to each rush for 100-plus yards over the last 30 postseasons since the Super Bowl era officially kicked off. 
Boy, that is just a mind-blowing factoid and something that if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you ought to be cringing at because that is really an embarrassing defeat knowing that you just were simply manhandled in the line of scrimmage. And it was interesting as an article broke out on Saturday evening or early Sunday morning where John Sullivan, the center for the Rams, came out and said, hey, we knew exactly where this Dallas Cowboys defense was doing before the snap because we were able to read their alignments in Malik Collins, a nose tackle. We knew if he was shaded out to the right side, they were likely going to stunt. We knew if they had a certain player on the outside, they knew that they were going to go ahead and play an outside prevent defense. We knew if they had two defensive tackles aligned inside, they knew that they were going to come and bring the blitz. And so Sullivan told reporters like, hey, we had a good jump on what they were going to do. And that obviously helped them find so much success in their rushing attack. But now for my hidden gem, it's CJ Anderson. Backtrack to December when the Rams made the surprising decision to waive Pro Bowl returner Pharaoh Cooper. And a lot of Rams fans were upset and people from around the NFL were like, are the Rams stupid? Getting rid of a player like Cooper who's such a dynamic returner. But now, flip the script and the Rams look like geniuses for getting rid of Cooper and bringing on CJ Anderson off the street on December 18th, Todd Gurley was banged up, and so the Rams decided to give Anderson a chance. Now, let's backtrack a little bit. Anderson, a 27-year-old back who, by the way, has had a couple of 1,000-yard seasons under his belt when he was with the Denver Broncos. The Broncos decided to cut ties with him last offseason because they wanted to get younger as they went with Devontae Booker and ultimately signed the talented undrafted free agent Philip Lindsay to go with Royce Freeman. So Anderson ended up signing with the Panthers. He started the year in Carolina, didn't get much playing time. He was cut. He ended up having a brief stint with the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders cut him after not even a week long. This was a guy that was down in the dumps. Many people were viewing him as the laughingstock of the NFL saying, boy, this guy must really be bad that he's getting cut that soon. Well, Sean McVay and this Rams personnel, this front office, they knew that this guy had the caliber, the heart of a champion because he won a Super Bowl with Denver. And they said, you know what? We need a running back to come in here and at least give us some playing time until Gurley can get back up to full health. And boy, has that move paid off Anderson after rushing for 299 yards and two touchdowns in his first two games with the Rams in the regular season. He's continued his dominant stretch against the Cowboys in the playoffs. He rushed for 110 yards on 20 carries, two touchdowns through three and a half quarters, making NFL history in the process. It was his third straight game with 100 yards and a touchdown, becoming the first running back ever to do that in his first three games with a new team in both the regular season and the postseason. He's also just the third player since 1999 with 110 or more yards rushing and two touchdowns in a game in which he did not start. 
As we all know, Gurley is the bell cow. He is the number one running back on the depth chart. But Anderson has come in and has been a dynamic number two. Thunder and lightning for the Rams. And you know what? That speaks volumes to the type of character that Anderson has as he put on on social media thanking Sean McVay for giving him a chance. And in result, look at what he has rewarded the Rams for up to this point. And, you know, there's so much to be learned about Anderson. He could have easily checked it in and said, you know what, I'm going to shut things down. I'm going to continue to work. And you know what, I'll just hopefully find work in free agency. But this is a guy that stuck his nose to the ground. He kept on working hard. And when he was given an opportunity to play for a contender, he ran with it. And instead of complaining and ripping the Raiders and the Panthers and complaining for not being in the right situation, he still stuck it out. And at the end of the day, this is what happened when you stay true to who you want to be and you stay the course and a player like Anderson who has been around the league for quite some time he is now reaping the rewards and reaping the benefits and to me as an NFL fan as an observer as somebody that saw this guy win a title be atop of the mountain and all of a sudden had a quick fall down here in 2018 He's now back up at the top on the rise. And whether the Rams win the Super Bowl or not, I think a lot can be said in a positive image about what Anderson has been able to do as an example for a lot of young players who look up to him and will one day want to be on that same stage as him. So to round out this game, the Cowboys simply had no answer for the Rams. Their ground attack, right? And on offense... You look at what what they did in the passing game, the Rams, Jared Goff, you know, he was efficient. He completed 15 to 28 passes for 186 yards and of course sealed the game with an 11 yard run in which many people were just puzzled that he was the one to put the nail in the coffin. He distributed passes to seven receivers with Robert Woods leading the way. Six catches for 69 yards. And how about the defense? I talked about how they stymied Ezekiel in this Cowboys offense. This is a Rams unit under Wade Phillips that had been up and down during the regular season. They ranked 23rd in run defense. That's what Dante Fowler was talking about, how many people had quote-unquote disrespected them, saying that Elliott was going to run all over them. And this is a running back dynamic in his own right. He was a 2018 rushing title holder with... 1,434 yards. He was not a happy camper on Saturday evening. He finished with 47 yards on 20 carries, averaging a paltry 2.4 yards per attempt. And on the game, Dallas managed 50 yards on 22 carries, which placed the game squarely in Dak Prescott's hand. And speaking of Prescott, his opportunity to carry his team by himself went by the wayside after the Rams made the Cowboys offense one-dimensional. And sure, Prescott had a one-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter, but he needed to do more through the air than his 266 yards passing, which 56 of those yards came in the fourth quarter to go along with a touchdown. But this was the bold stat and a primary reason why Dallas really was never able to gain any traction They were 1 of 10 on third down attempts, and some of Prescott's throws were off the mark in crucial situations. And Scott Linehan's play calling was just atrocious, especially you go to that main 4th and 1 play call there in the 4th quarter where the Cowboys, instead of spreading out the defense, they saw Sue and Aaron Donald. They were lined up on the inside, 
And the Cowboys pretty much said, hey, Rams, look, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to run it with Elliott right up the A-gap, try to stop it. And the Rams said, hey, no problem. We got two of the best defensive tackles in the league. Dallas didn't really think about using any other formation. I mean, my gosh, even splitting out a couple of receivers to make that area less crowded. Nope. Dallas decides to put everybody in the box. They run it. They're stuffed. The Rams go down and score a touchdown and make it a two-possession game late. And then, of course, the Cowboys score, and the game was eventually over. But this Rams team, they look sharp coming out of that bye week. I know they kind of dipped there in the last month of the season, which is why I thought Dallas maybe had a shot. Nonetheless, Sean McVay, he means business. The Rams, they're headed to the NFC Championship game, will face the Saints in a rematch. Boy, that one is going to be fun to watch. So now we'll go ahead and move to the third game here of the divisional round, and it was another blowout. Los Angeles Chargers against the New England Patriots. Man, I got to say, along with many of you that I saw in the poll, 65% or so of us thought the Chargers were going to win. However, the Patriots, they came out with vengeance, knowing that this was a game that many people doubted. A lot of people were talking about Tom Brady. The main headline leading into kickoff was Rob Gronkowski. Wayne retirement again this offseason. And I think the Patriots and Bill Belichick, uh, who, by the way, I'm sure wasn't thrilled about the whole attention that they were getting with Brian Flores, the de facto defensive coordinator who is expected to become the Miami Dolphins' next head coach after the season, I'm sure he wasn't thrilled about all the extra noise that was being generated there in Foxborough. They wanted to get on the field, long story short, and boy did they show that because they got off to a hot start against a Los Angeles Chargers team that many people thought had a chance to get to the Super Bowl this season, including myself. But the Patriots, they just completely annihilated LA, winning 41-28. to to get to their 8th consecutive AFC title game and their 13th with Tom Brady at quarterback. The Patriots will now face the Chiefs in Kansas City next Sunday with a shot to make their 4th straight Super Bowl. So let that sink in for a little bit. You can hate the Patriots, you can dislike the Patriots, but you have to respect their success with Belichick at the helm with Brady under center Tom Brady, by the way, 41 years old. He's now 28-10 in the postseason, and he had that offense humming and firing on all cylinders. They started the first drive, electing to receive the opening kickoff. They marched the ball 83 yards in 14 plays with rookie running back Sony Michelle, who had a career day scoring the first of his three touchdowns. With his second quarter touchdown pass to Philip Dorsett in the second quarter, Brady extended his streak of touchdown passes to 13 straight postseason games, tied for the third longest streak in the NFL. And then you just look at the complete picture of Brady's performance. He went 34 of 43 for 343 yards and a touchdown which was the 15th time he had eclipsed the 300-yard passing mark in the playoffs. You look at his number one target, Julian Edelman. That connection was strong. He finished with nine catches for 151 yards, the highest yardage output of his postseason career. 
And Edelman's first catch of the second quarter moved him into second all-time in postseason catches. He now has 98 total, which put him behind Jerry Rice, who has 151. And then James White, the dynamic running back who Jarrell Worthy and I talked about on Friday, where you cannot discount what he can do in the pass game because he is essentially another receiver that's lined up in the backfield and he is shifty out in the open field. He finished with 15 catches for 97 yards, breaking his own franchise record for receptions in a postseason game. And as for the Chargers and their high-powered offense, Phillip Rivers, they answered on the first possession a strike to Keenan Allen, but that was the only time the Chargers could match the Patriots in any phase of the game. New England, they scored touchdowns on their first four possessions, and its only first-half punt for New England resulted in a fumble by Desmond King and a recovery by Albert McClellan, which set up Michelle's third touchdown of the afternoon. The Patriots would go on to score on seven of their first nine possessions, rolled up 31st downs and 499 total yards, converted on seven of 14 third downs, and held onto the ball for a whopping 37 minutes and 21 seconds. That defense, going back to their case, they were dominant. They frustrated Rivers. They blanketed his receivers all game long. Their unit, led by Flores, held Los Angeles to 128 first half yards and 316 overall. 22 first downs and 5 of 13 on third downs. And now for the hidden gem for the New England Patriots. And it's defensive end, Adrian Claiborne. Remember him, he was... Uh, talked about for quite some time in the 2017 season because he had, I think, four or five sacks against the Dallas Cowboys. That was when he was still a member of the Atlanta Falcons. He just completely embarrassed Chaz Green, the reserve offensive tackle. He signed a two-year $10 million deal with the Patriots last offseason, and there was a lot of hope for him because, hey, they're like, this is a perfect Bill Belichick type of signing, a guy that isn't really coveted by a whole lot of teams, but he's one of those dirty workers that he's going to consistently be in the backfield and be a presence. And this is an interesting story because Claiborne was, in a sense, in the doghouse in New England. He was missing in action over the last two weeks of the regular season. He was a healthy scratch in week 16 and week 17. And for those of you that do not know, it's never a good sign when a player is a healthy scratch because that just means that, well, you're not dealing with an injury, but you're just not producing well enough to be on the active roster. And I feel like, of course, I don't know what that's like personally, but it's an embarrassing moment for a player, especially who's making $5 million a year, to be in sweats on the sideline while the rest of your teammates are in gear, playing on the field. And so I feel like that's rock bottom for a player, especially like Adrian Claiborne, a former first-round pick. He's 30 years old. And so I think there is many different ways that he could have handled it. He could have fired back at Belichick. In the media, he could have taken his shots. He could have hinted that he wanted out of New England. But no, he handled his benching with class. And here's what he had to say. This was a quote from NESN.com back in week 16 or 17 when he was benching. And it says, and I quote, I don't want to get into it. 
Claiborne said when asked about his back-to-back healthy scratches. I'm not really trying to start any rifts or anything, but I don't know. It is what it is. That's over and done with. Moving forward, we'll see where it goes. It's playoff time now. Can't really be negative about anything. Close quote. That's Adrian Claiborne facing the media, a player that had every right to just outburst on the Patriots for handling him the way they did, but he did not, right? And instead of sulking in tears, instead of complaining, he rose to the occasion when he had a chance coming out of the bye week. This is a player that stayed with it, that kept on training, that kept on getting in the film room, that kept on showing Belichick that, hey, you brought me here for a reason. And although I haven't been on tape the last couple of weeks, I want to make sure to let you know and all of my teammates that I'm still a valuable asset to my team as we continue our surge for a Super Bowl title. And that's exactly what he did on Sunday. He had his chance and he registered two tackles, one sack, one and a half tackles for loss, and three quarterback hits. He was one of the primary factors as to why Rivers was flustered, was griping the entire time to the referees because Adrian Claiborne was a consistent force going up against Russell Okung, who's a Pro Bowl offensive tackle. He whooped them there late in the game, got his sack, and you know what? I like seeing these type of stories happen because it's rewarding players for working hard, for not quitting when things get hard, for continuing to be resilient and saying, you know what, I'm going to stick it out regardless if I get to play or not. I'm a member of this team and I feel like Far too many times in this day and age, we see players who quit on their team. You look at the Antonio Brown situation where he decides to skip the entire week because he gets in a heated argument with Ben Roethlisberger and and is now ignoring team's ownership. They can't even get a hold of him. This is a guy that's making $17, $18 million a year. Talk about entitlement. Agent Claiborne's situation, of course, is on a much smaller scale because he's not an Antonio Brown and he's a defensive end who's 30 years old, right? But at the same time, there's a message to be heard. And Claiborne, he echoed that sentiment on Sunday saying, do not count me out. I'm here for the long haul and I'm going to prove my worth with time. So that's my hidden gem for the New England Patriots. Now we're going to close it out with the final divisional round game. This was between the Philadelphia Eagles and the New Orleans Saints. The second game on Sunday. And after spotting the Eagles, a two-touchdown lead, and boy, people were clamoring. People had their faces in their hands. There was a lot of gifs going on social media of Saints fans of the who dat nation that we're saying oh shoot it looks like we are going to be victim of saint nick nick Foles. the hype was real the eagles were flying the philadelphia fans were absolutely loving it until drew Brees and the new orleans saints awoke from their slumber and they reeled off 20 consecutive points to win a thriller by the score of 20 to 14 at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome and are now advancing to the NFC title game and will host those Los Angeles Rams for a second time this season. 
It's their first appearance in the NFC Championship game since 2010 and the third time in franchise history. Now I gotta say, there's one play that's being talked about and it was that successful fake punt by Taysom Hill which sparked the Saints resurgence and brought their home crowd alive and it was a roll of the dice by Sean Payton on a fourth and one. He decides to do a fake where it's just a direct snap to Taysom Hill, the utility player. He picks it up and the tide really was turned at that very moment. And it's perfect segue because Taysom Hill is my hidden gem on the New Orleans Saints. This is a 28-year-old player, okay? He's lined up as a quarterback, as a running back, as a tight end. He's blocked punts this season. He's returned kicks this season. And this is a player that has said to Sean Payton, Coach, you put me wherever you need me and I'm going to give my utmost effort and I am a team player. I'm going to do what is asked of me to make this team go as far as we possibly can. And when the Saints signed Hill as an undrafted free agent in 2017, now this was after a brief stint Hill had with the Green Bay Packers and I'm sure the Packers are looking back on it and said, man, what could have been had we just been able to identify how to use this guy we could have an asset and a valuable player in green bay but unfortunately for them they decided to part ways with them and that's when sean payton and the saints front office said hey you know what we think this guy has some potential to help us out as a team this is a guy that was a former byu quarterback who was there for like five or six years. I think he was granted an injury redshirt. He was granted a redshirt for development early on. So he was like, I think, obviously 26 years old coming into the NFL, which is a rarity for a rookie as typical rookies are age 21, 22, 23, right? But he was already three years ahead of the curve. So that kind of made teams really second guess. Well, this guy is kind of already set in his ways. He's a quarterback a primary runner that never threw the darn ball, so he really doesn't bring much value. He's six foot two, he's 220 pounds, and he has revolutionized the league since being with Sean Payton there in New Orleans, okay? Taysom Hill, he's absolutely loved by the fans of the Saints. This is a guy that ran a 4-4 40-yard dash during his pro day there in Provo. Scouts from all 32 teams all saw for themselves what he could have been or added to their team, but each team took a collective pass there in the draft. However, when he was given the opportunity to go to New Orleans, he took it and he ran with it instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to call it NFL career. This guy, he had aspirations to make it in the league. And he still was able to come on with the second team and swallowed his pride and said, although I would have liked to have been a quarterback, I'm going to make sure that I am a versatile piece that can play many different positions. And that's exactly what he's done since becoming a member of the New Orleans Saints. On the season, as I said, he converted fake punts both passing and running. He's rushed for 196 yards on 37 carries and two touchdowns. He's caught three passes, right? And this fake punt against the Eagles on Sunday, which he took it by himself up the middle, ran over a couple of players to keep this drive alive. And in result, 
the game turned on an 11-play, 92-yard drive that ate up 11 minutes and 29 seconds in the third quarter for the Saints, which, by the way, was the longest playoff drive since 2007. New Orleans overcame three holding penalties and a false start on the drive. And the Saints capped it off with a two-yard pass from Drew Brees to Michael Thomas, who had a career day, 12 catches for 171 yards. And then later, New Orleans added a 39-yard Will Lutz field goal, but a missed attempt from 52 yards with 258 that gave the Eagles a last chance at victory. And I know there was a lot of people who were nervous in that moment saying, oh, shoot. Here comes Nick Foles. Here come the Eagles. They did it against Chicago with a late touchdown to seal the victory. But the Saints defense stood tall and on a pass that was off the hands of Alshon Jeffrey, Marshawn Lattimore, the talented corner out of Ohio State, intercepted it to ice the game and send the Saints fans wild and let's go ahead and talk about Nick Foles, right? He started the game 8 of 9 for 113 yards and a touchdown pass to go along with the one-yard touchdown run. So he kind of copied Drew Brees in his vintage jump-over-the-huddle touchdown run. But the Saints tightened the screws a little bit. Foles finished the game 18 of 31 for 201 yards with one touchdown and two interceptions as the Saints defense smothered the Philadelphia offense and Breeze did the reverse. He recovered from a 2 of 6 for 30 yards start in the first quarter to finish with 28 of 38 for 301 yards passing and two touchdowns to help the Saints overcome a slow start New Orleans, they dominated the time of possession 37-50 to 22-10 and had 25 first downs to the Eagles 15 and outgained them 420 yards to 250. And New Orleans, in spite of their 11 penalties for a costly 84 yards, they found a way to come out on top. They lost their star defensive tackle, Sheldon Rankins, to a torn Achilles, and he's done for the rest of the season. But they were able to hunker down and finish the game strong. Sean Payton, this is a gutsy head coach that does not shy away from big moments as the cameras, they showed him throughout the entire course of the game, specifically in crunch time, urging on their fans to make noise in pivotal moments on big plays. And this Saints defensive front got after Foles, especially in the third, fourth quarter. Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport, and Tyler Davison, who inserted the game after Rankins went down. Demario Davis, that inside linebacker who they signed in free agency from the Jets. He was all over the field. And Kamara and Ingram, they ran with an edge. And the Saints were able to get the W and send home the Philadelphia Eagles in what many people believe to be a team that was destined to get back to the Super Bowl. But the top-seeded Saints said, not in our house, not in the dome, and we're now ready for the NFC Championship game to host the Los Angeles Rams. 
So there you have it, a divisional round recap, each game in-depth analysis, and my hidden gem. So this is a testament that all those of you who are listening, it doesn't matter if you're a football player, if it's a job, if it's something that you're doing on the side, stay at it, do not fuss about things that don't go your way, because in the end, if you put in the work, you put in the drive, we're gonna reach our goals and we're gonna exceed expectations as we've seen many of these key players play such big time roles for their respective teams. I'll be back here on Wednesday. An NFL agent joins the Pro Football Chase podcast. We're going to discuss some free agency, some draft topics. I hope you're able to join me yet again. And of course, down the road on Friday, I will preview the AFC and NFC championship games. Until then, have a great rest of the afternoon and God bless. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money.